Welcome back, everybody. Since the end of October last year, the stock market has been on a pretty nice run, with the S&P 500 returning over 18% in total return over that roughly three-month time period. Now, people have speculated that it's the market pricing in future rate cuts by the Fed or that it's confirmation of a soft landing. But like anything related to the daily financial news, trying to get clarity as an everyday investor is pretty tough to do. So in this video, we're going to talk about why I think the market's been going up over the past three months and how it may impact what we see in 2024. But no matter how much green we see in the market, there's always people preaching caution. To me, I think a lot of the good news has been priced in. People see finally inflation coming down. That was something we forecasted. Now we're worried that inflation is moving from a COVID thing, which is what that was, to something of an end of a business cycle thing. So we're relinking to an economy that looks late in the economic cycle, where wages rise, they stay elevated, and that puts upward pressure on inflation, which is where we think we're at right now. And given that backdrop, we don't think the Fed is going to be easing policy anytime soon. Uh, certainly, if they do, I think they really risk a wage price spiral. And we think inflation numbers have bottomed out, but they are certainly showing signs of pushing back higher. So, the, for example, the Cleveland Fed median CPI is rising. Core inflation uh, is kind of stalled out in the 3% area, as has services X shelter, which is in the 5% area. And so we think, uh, you know, uh, these things are going to, to cause uh, inflation worries to come back. The Federal mm -hmm. Reserve is going to stay tighter uh, and the market will actually uh, experience some sort of a pullback in the coming months. So what he's saying here is that they expect inflation pressures to persist a little bit and the Fed not to rush to actually cut rates like a lot of people are projecting. Because now that we're out of the COVID fueled market, we're transitioning into the back end of the economic cycle, which would ultimately lead us into a recession. And he talks about that a little bit more here. See in my notes that you say we continue to forecast a recession. You're fighting the good fight there. A lot of people have given up that forecast. You have not. Um, I wonder why, number one, you see that as a probability. But number two, if there's going to be a recession, why wouldn't you then believe that the Fed would be more inclined to cut interest rates to make sure that the economy doesn't slump deeply? Uh, I am more inclined to believe the Federal Reserve will cut rates when they see a recession. But by then, I'd imagine the stock market would falter if history is any guide. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's kind of the sequencing. I think you will see the Fed eventually cut rates once they see the labor market weaken. But that tends to be a trending type of an index. Uh, and typically, when the Fed cuts rates, it doesn't arrest the stock market decline immediately, nor does it arrest the recession immediately. And that typically has a period of negative returns, which I think is more likely than not. So regardless of the market performance and the Fed projecting that it may cut rates in 2024, he's seeing the current rally as the market's reaction to finally getting some good news towards the end of 2023. But to expect some pullback as the reality of 2024 starts to set in and we go through the year. And the forecast that we see for the S&P 500 this year seem to echo a similar sentiment. I don't think many people expect to match last year's over 25% return, but many of the forecasts currently fall within the 8 to 9% range or even lower. You see a pretty good year, I think, Lloyd. Maybe not near term, but 8% yeah. total on the S&P by the end of the year. Yeah, so we're at 5150 and we're trying to guess where the index is going to end up on December 31st. So it's a year-end number. And, you know, what's interesting is back in November, we had a 5,000 target that we set for this year. It was about a 10% return. So the anticipated return we're looking for is a little bit lower than we were a few months ago, primarily because of that big move we had in the fourth quarter. Um, but, you know, our number's higher and we have to mark our models, you know, to the market. 
Um, but I think it's going to be a good year. I think we're going to make progress. You know, with an 8% return, I'm still one of the more bullish strategists out there, which is sort of an interesting factoid in and of itself. Now, personally, I think 8% is actually pretty reasonable. Like, how much do any of us really know what's going to happen? But I think the question is, if most of the analysts and forecasts were terribly wrong in 2023, why should any of us care what they are for 2024? And to me, that's a legitimate question, especially if you're a long-term investor who really doesn't need or plan to manage your portfolio based on short-term macro factors. But let's listen as Lori talks about something that they found that explains some of the disconnect in 2023, because I thought it was actually really interesting. And I'll tell you, this valuation study was fascinating. I'm a big believer that we're at the beginning of the post-COVID era of investing. And if you're just using post-GFC, pre-COVID rules to do your analysis, you're missing the boat. So our valuation model, what I really learned in doing that work is that in the 70s, inflation did a better job of explaining PEs than interest rates. And I think that's exactly what happened last year. GDP doesn't always do a great job of driving PEs, but we actually found when we were building the model, I didn't have GDP in there to begin with, but people kept asking me, plug in this number, you know, plug in that number. They wanted to know if we stress it for certain GDP ranges, you know, what would the multiple be? So I threw it in and it actually helped the model a little bit. And we realized that last year you were actually seeing the fact that GDP, you know, kind of going to Steve's conversation, the fact that it was recovering and coming in ahead of expectations, that was really helping support the multiple as well. So if you go back and look at history, you learn a lot of stuff that people missed last year. Now, I know most of the discussion about the market and macro factors and the Fed has to do with interest rates. Are they going to cut rates? Are they going to raise rates? But her comment about GDP was interesting to me. So I dug into the GDP. GDP numbers and the dates that they were announced, and here's what I saw. And just to explain this a little bit, when GDP growth is announced, there's the initial advance report. And then they announce about a month later the second revision estimate, and then a month after that, they release the final number. So each time it's updated, it becomes news that the market can react to. And so if we go back to the end of June in 2023, the Q1 GDP growth final number was released and it was 2.0%, but it was revised up from the 1.3% estimate and over the next month, the S&P was up almost 2% in terms of price. And then on July 27th, the initial estimate for the Q2 GDP growth number was released and it was 2.4%. So again, continuing to rise up. And over the next month, the S&P rose another 2.63%. On August 30th, though, the second GDP estimate for Q2 was released, and it was estimated down to 2.1% from 2.4%. Over the next month, the S&P was down 4.77%. On September 28th, the final GDP growth number for Q2 was released, and it stayed the same at 2.1%, so no change. And again, over the next month, the S&P 500 lost 3.78%. Now, I know this information is a little dry, but here's where we're going to get into the last three months. On October 26th, the first estimate for GDP growth in Q3 was released, and it was a whopping 4.9%, which was the highest number we had seen since 2021. And of course, over the next month, the S&P 500 went up about 10% in one month. On November 29th, the second estimate was released for Q3, and it was adjusted up to 5.2%, so even better. And over the next month, the S&P 500 returned another 4.31%. And then finally, on December 21st, the final number for Q3 was released, and it was adjusted down back to 4.9%, but again, still the highest number since 2021. 
And over the next month, which is basically until now, the S&P returned another 1.96%. So first off, I just want to say, ultimately, we don't really know why markets do what they do. Like We make our best guesses, and we try to take whatever information we can to try to give us an advantage. But at the end of the day, we know correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation, and it's really just impossible to know. However, this pattern makes a lot more sense to me than the market reaction to the potential of rate cuts. Because if you look at the federal funds rate pattern for 2023, you see that it was rising in the beginning of the year and then flat for the back end of the year. So was the market really reacting to the potential of rate hikes or rate cuts in that back half of the year? Or is it more likely that they were reacting to the real GDP numbers as a sign of what's going on in the broader economy? Now, I'll let you interpret it however you want. For me, I do think that the fact that the October number was higher than any number that we had seen since 2021 probably had a positive impact on the broader market and its performance at the end of the year. But that's just me. And based on what people are predicting for 2024, they seem to think that GDP growth will be slower this year than it was last year which would align with people predicting that the S&P will return only 8-9% to compared to what it returned a year ago. Okay, but what does any of this mean for us as investors? So for most people, it probably shouldn't mean very much. If you're investing for the long term, you're investing for retirement, and you have a reasonably long time horizon, it probably means you don't change anything. But there are a couple caveats to this. Now, obviously, if you're in retirement or close to retirement, and you need to manage your income-producing assets based on macro factors, it's really a whole different ballgame. But to me, as long as treasury funds are yielding over 5% and your focus is income at the lowest amount of risk you can get it, then that seems like a no-brainer. And I'm actually doing a lot of that in my mom's portfolio, which I manage. But she's actually in retirement and she's extremely risk-averse. So for her, it makes perfect sense. The other exception is if you're looking for individual stocks, wanting to try to time the market and have your eye on specific companies that are trading at higher multiples like your Microsofts, your Costco's or your FICO's, then I can understand wanting to wait on the sidelines a little bit in 2024 just to see if those GDP numbers come down and it forces a meaningful correction in the market. And it just so happens we have a lot of different catalysts that are coming up just around the corner. The initial Q4 GDP advance report is going to be released this Thursday at 8.30 a.m. Plus, we have earnings season coming up as well over the next few weeks. So you could easily see a combination of GDP numbers disappointing and earnings numbers disappointing in certain companies that you might be interested in. So it might be worth waiting just a couple weeks to see how that all shakes out. But obviously, that's only if you want to time the market and try to target specific stocks, which I know is not for everybody. In terms of GDP numbers going forward, this is something I'm going to watch more closely because I just casually saw them before, but it does look like, at least in 2023, the market seemed to react with the general direction of the GDP growth numbers. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues in 2024. Okay, so the last story that I wanted to talk about today was one that just caught my eye with the title alone. Maybe it was, the chips continue to dominate within the tech sector. Nah, that's pretty boring. Or maybe it was, how Bitcoin lost by winning. Nope. It was, will restaurants look to chicken in 2024? Now, this I just had to see. Inflation has been sticky, we all know, for restaurants and consumers over the last year. Take a look at beef, over $5 a pound as of December, due in part to supply constraints, but chicken has been mostly deflationary and comes in at a dollar less per pound, making it ideal for companies to lean into if this continues in 2024. Data from Technomic across the top 60 QSR chains also shows consumer 
consumers are flocking to the bird, had to do it, when it comes to orders as they are the value play in this environment. The number of consumers who ordered chicken sandwiches increased year on year from 14.6% to 15.7%. The number of burger orders in that same time frame last year flat at just over 7%. Burger prices are up 10% in 2023 versus chicken sandwich prices climbing just 5%. Sorry, I just had to stop it real quick because as an enjoyer of burgers and chicken sandwiches, this is the type of analysis that I'm here for. Like, forget the GDP stuff. I am bullish on chicken sandwiches. TD's Andrew Charles points to three major trends in chicken's favor across the industry. Number one, skews younger in terms of the consumer with millennials and Gen Z. It's higher margin due to those inflation trends with beef. And there's undeniable success from two privately held players, Chick-fil-A and Raising Cane's. The stocks you mentioned also tell the story here. Wingstop, known for its wings, of course, but also four chicken sandwiches soared about 90% in 2023 to Chipotle, which has found success with its pollo asado and chicken al pastor in recent years, also climbed over 60% last year. The fast food players did have more modest performances. McDonald's up over 12%, Yum up around 2%. So some interesting charts, as you can see right there. Now, I really just love this breakdown of chicken trends. Like That was just fascinating to me. But other than that, I didn't realize that Wingstop was actually up 86% last year. Now, Wingstop is a company that I forever have on my watch list because, again, as a consumer, I actually love their product. And I also like their business model of being primarily takeout with just small seating areas. And, I mean, their wings are delicious. Now, if you look at their growth and profitability metrics, I mean, they look amazing. Now, obviously, from a valuation perspective, they're out of this world being a high multiple growth company that's under $10 billion in market cap. But still, they've had an over 70% return since September of last year. So congrats to any of you guys that they're holding Wingstop. I mean, that's just amazing. Now on this chart, you can see my beloved McDonald's is on here and they ended the segment talking a bit about that. So Kate, the question is, you know, McDonald's has offered chicken in one form or another for a long time. Mm -hmm. How is it doing in the chicken world? It's so interesting, Tyler. McDonald's said at its investor day back in December it was going to be leaning even more into core items of beef and chicken. Chicken in particular had been really successful. And when I was talking to Andrew Charles for this story, he mentioned that TD Cowan's checks of their restaurants basically suggested that the McCrispy launch that they had back in 2021, Whoa. that was the most successful launch that the company had had per TD's analysis since the introduction of Chicken McNuggets in the 1980s. So consumers really enjoyed it. Obviously, that's been a, a nice uh, trend that they've continued to see, and they're going to lean even, even further into it in the year to come. And the price is right, right? So I just have to say, this is anecdotal, but my wife loves the Deluxe McCrispy herself, and I I could tell by the clip that the show host does too. Because listen to what he does in the background as she's talking about the McCrispy. The McCrispy launch that they had back in 2021. Whoa. In 2021. Whoa. Now, if you guys watch this channel, you know how much I love McDonald's as a company and as a stock. So any additional reason I can have to be bullish is all right with me. So add the chicken McCrispy to the list. Now, usually when we're talking about stocks, we're talking about all these ratios and financials and billions of dollars. I just appreciate these moments when we can enjoy ourselves and talk about some chicken sandwiches. But look, in terms of why chicken is getting to be so popular, I definitely think that all the things that they mentioned are part of it. But I think we should recognize the hard work and dedication of the group that has really been pushing the chicken story for years. Was involved. For Live Witness News, I'm David Carpetian. Katie? So what do you guys think about the GDP numbers and the impact that it had or didn't have on the market? Let me know down in the comments below. And speaking to companies with high multiples, 
I actually just bought one and it doesn't even pay a dividend. So if you want to know what I bought and why, click on this video right here. Hope you guys have a great day out there. Financial independence is true freedom. So keep building and stacking wins and I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.